You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The film we are here to discuss is The Harder They Fall, which came out in 2021 and was directed by James Samuel. I heard Rufus Buck was back. So ain't no road to ask a friend to travel. You think Destiny's coming to you? My guns go back. A new day is dawning. Slow. I don't particularly enjoy violence. That being said, we are currently in company of extremely violent individuals. Jump, mother. My guns go bang. I can make the guns go bang. well for you. It stars Jonathan Majors, Zazie Beetz, Regina King, Idris Elba, Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Deadweiler, RJ Kyler, Dion Cole, E.D. Kathiji, if I'm pronouncing it right, and Delroy Lindo. The genre would be Western. First things first, this was a blast. I wish I had seen it in a theater, but but oh well, it's not that often you see a Western that's both meta and old school at the same time. You have all of the archetypes here in this movie. The henchman, the sniper, the brawler, the laid-back rogue, the big boss, the cocky upstart, the veteran lawman, etc. And yet they're all elevated by a top-flight cast armed with a lot of sharp, self-aware dialogue thanks to co-writers James Samuel, who's also the director, and Boaz Yakin. Now, if that name sounds familiar, Boaz Yakin was the legendary writer-director of the 94 classic Fresh. And also remember the Titans. The motherfuckers pink now. You know, mama used to say, Jim is such a sweet boy. You know what I said? Mama, fuck Jim. Look what he did to my fucking eye. I am sweet. You're not sweet. I'm sweet. You're not sweet. I'm sweet. You're not sweet. Bitch, I'm sweet. You know what? What? I'd rather be dead than hear this motherfucker keep talking. <laughs> But the dialogue's not too self-aware. There may be a couple of moments when the director, James Samuel, seems to be winking at the audience, but he picks his moments. One of them resulting in just such an obvious sight gag that it works because he just genuinely sees it through. Hint, it's a town that our protagonist visits in the second half of the movie. Now, there is no new narrative ground being tread with this story, especially for a Western. It's kind of a mishmash of The Magnificent Seven and Silverado and Shane and whatever other genre tropes you can toss into a blender, but it still works as a cohesive story with stakes, and interesting characters, too. Jonathan Majors plays our main protagonist, Nat Love, who has led a gang of robbers in direct competition with a more powerful gang of bank robbers, led by the recently pardoned career criminal Rufus Buck, our main villain who's played with a bit of a slow burn by Idris Elba. The movie kicks off with a young Nat watching his loving parents murdered right in front of him by, you guessed it, Rufus. And then guess who spends the remainder of this story seeking revenge? 
leave them out of this. Your quarrel is with me. Let's go outside. Take a walk. And handle our business. Like I said, nothing particularly original for a setup, but it's all about the execution, as of course many complications arise along the way towards seeking revenge. And that's where this stacked cast really comes to play. Majors is genuinely engaging and just delivers on more of the promise from his recent strong performances as the tough but vulnerable everyman characters that he recently played in Defy Bloods, recent Netflix movie directed by Spike Lee, and Lovecraft Country, which was a very acclaimed show on HBO. He's a definite star with charisma and action chops to boot. They say Robin Banks is hard work. That's a lie. Robin Banks is easy. The hard part is doing it without killing. So what'll you be? Mr. Manager. Good man. Speaking of which, the gunplay is always exciting to watch, aided by plenty of playful camera work. There are definitely some zooms which might remind you of Sam Raimi's heyday back when he was doing the Evil Dead movies in the 80s, especially when he tried his hand at a balls-out western himself, 1995's very underrated The Quick and the Dead, starring Sharon Stone. Another movie I might recommend. The sound design also makes it pop, with not only piercingly loud gunshots, but just a fun sound mix for every stomp of a boot on a wooden floor, or the butt of a rifle used as a backbeat for one of quite a few memorable musical sequences that the movie has. This one early on featuring Zazie Beetz's Stagecoach Mary, using it to start a catchy stage number at a local saloon which her character owns. The female leads certainly bring it in this movie. Both Beats and Regina, the king, as I call her, as Trudy, who is Rufus's second in command. They're, of course, playing on opposite sides of this brewing conflict, all leading to a brutal, extended brawl between these two characters, which gratefully isn't shot like a catfight. These two have been facing off for much of the film's runtime, and this sequence just provides a great payoff. King is great as usual. She's all swagger and intimidation, using a unique Southwestern, I think, accent that I couldn't quite place, but it kind of works. What the hell are you doing out here? There ain't no way to board a train, you damn stupid nigga. Mike could have said nincompoop. We ain't no nincompoop. They say something that even start with an end. They gonna meet the same thing. This shindig runs about 130 minutes, and it's just loaded with characters and side stories, most of which work, and it never bogs things down. 
I especially enjoyed a sort of one-sided brewing rivalry between Beckwith, an aspiring quick-draw artist in Nat's gang played winningly by R.J. Kyler, and Cherokee Bill, a smooth gunman playing for the bad guys, and played by one of my personal favorites, the master of quirk himself, Lakeith Stanfield. I have yet to see Lakeith not knock it out of the park with any roles he has been given, and he certainly does not disappoint here. And I say one-sided because only Beckwith wants to have a showdown to see who's the fastest between them. What's fun is watching how Stanfield's Bill keeps passively brushing him off just because he has better things to do. Hey, had the quick draw here tell about Cherokee Bill. Hey, I hear you so fast that your opponents ain't got time to draw before you put two in their back. No, that ain't me. No, I'm the Cherokee Bill that shoots men in the mouth that talk too much. I'll make it easy for you then. You draw first. Yeah, what you think this is? Who the quickest draw on the West type thing? All comes down to who fast and who ain't, right? Oh, it all comes down to who's alive and who's dead. Truly, I'm gonna give me something to drink. Good night. Hey, hey, drink my ass, man. I practiced that stand off all night. Jim. Hey, you're not just about to walk away from no disrespect with all the way away. Get out of here, Jim. It ain't the time. And of course, it all leads to a slam-bang extended climax, including that aforementioned brawl between Beats and King's characters. The last 40 or so minutes of The Harder They Fall is just filled with unassailably great action that's always shot cleanly and driven by character. Now, it does get bloody at times, but never at the squib-happy levels of absurdity that we would see in, say, the third act of a Django Unchained. If you're looking for unabashed entertainment, Netflix has actually helped deliver one of the best of this year. If only I could have seen this in Dolby on the big screen. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. The music is also a highlight of this movie, as James Samuel himself, the director and writer, he also composed an Ennio Morricone-influenced score, which is fun but never distracting mixed in with a top-notch reggae-infused soundtrack of songs, all of which are clearly not period-specific, but were all apparently incorporated into the film's script. Now, some of these songs add a bouncy, anachronistic flavor at times, but never in the jarring way that we've heard in other movies like Django Unchained or A Knight's Tale. Sorry to keep picking on Django Unchained. There are some great needle drops from the likes of Lauren Hill and Kid Cutie, but my personal favorite was a haunting ballad that we hear about halfway through from Alice Smith called Wednesday's Child. And it's sung as we watch stagecoach Mary, Zazie Beetz's character, look around with awe at this fancy new club, which is now run by Idris Elba's Rufus Black. Tuesday was not bad at all. Wednesday came with a flame. Thursday never be the same. Ships are not returning. And that brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Amidst such a large ensemble cast, there is one star who gets short shrift, but just slightly. Like I said earlier, Idris Elba's Rufus is kind of revealed slowly throughout the movie. There's a definite attempt to give his villain some mystery as he's clearly tormented by something other than just his desire to make the isolated town of Redwood, which he did take by force, 
a haven for people like him. His main desire seems to be money to pull this off, and that ends up being what he mainly seeks from Major's Nat, but we just know that there's more under the surface, which is eventually revealed in a surprisingly affecting scene towards the end. Elba gives a strong performance, and I appreciated the depth that his seemingly obvious villain was given. I just would have liked more scenes with him. Dan, like the coward he is, we took everything we had and left. I was 10 years old, you know, about the same age you was. When I gave you that scar, I had a sense of myself, but I became who I am, just like you. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Given this director's extensive background as a singer-songwriter, it becomes increasingly obvious why The Harder They Fall almost feels like a musical at times. Besides a few prominent musical numbers, there's just a rhythmic flow to everything else that we see on screen. This is demonstrated with an early standout sequence of Rufus's gang led by Stanfield's Cherokee Bill coming to spring him from a prison transport on a train where he's currently being held. The climax of this particular sequence finds Bill on the other side of a locked door from the lead marshal who is currently guarding Rufus, when we watch Bill negotiate his way inside by threatening the life of that marshal's son who happens to be an officer on the train. James Samuel, the director, shows us this standoff via split screen, as we see Rufus's gang on one side while the marshals are scrambling on the other. Now, this is certainly not the first time we have seen a filmmaker use split screen in a prominent sequence like this, but what elevates this even further is through the editing of this interaction as there is a tense rhythm between the interactions of our principals on each side of that door. And of course, the sequence culminates with one crew, guess which one, shooting up the other one in slow motion fashion, as we see Rufus slowly walking through the carnage towards the camera, still in his prison skivvies. Who here can drive a train? I said, everybody but him. And just to further elevate the point of how this particular crew comes to play, we then cut to a long shot of this crew lined up on their horses, staring at a sunset with their backs to the camera. And then we cut to first-person shots of them outside staring out at the desert. First Stanfield, then King, and then Elba just looking determined. You want the feel of a modern Western? That is your trailer moment. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This was the feature-length debut for British director James Samuel, and it's one hell of a debut. His background before this was pretty varied as he worked as a writer, actor, singer-songwriter, and music producer. You can feel all of those talents melding into a film that's never subtle, but always entertaining. Despite the stacked cast, which undoubtedly helped elevate this material, it's still his overall achievement at the end of the day as pretty much every shot, music cue, and or editing decision feels like a deliberate one to convey a specific tone while moving the story forward. Samuel is the MVP, and I definitely look forward to seeing more from this director. My rating for The Harder They Fall is four and a half stars out of five. The Harder They Fall was just one of those gems that just kind of caught me by surprise. 
It's the sort of film which deserves to be seen on the big screen, but at the very least, I'm grateful that a service like Netflix has allowed for such quick and easy access to it. And obviously, you could find this streaming on Netflix. And that ends another rip roaring review. Yeehaw! Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Yeah.